of your goodness this morning because you've been so, so good to us. We thank you because your goodness chases after us and we're confident of the fact that you will always and always run after us. And this morning as a response to your extravagant love, we say you are holy, you are beautiful, and we love you this morning. Receive our worship this morning, our God. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, while it's just still standing, uh, let's just read the word of God together. Um, we're reading from the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. It's going to come on your screen. There it is already. And we are reading from the NIV version. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spare one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated. Good morning once again. Uh, energy a bit low. Good morning once again. Morning. Much better. Thank you guys. Uh, my name is Wilson. Um, for those who don't know me, it's good to be back. Been away for a while, but it's so good to be back home. And super excited to be sharing the word of God with you guys today. Um, so for those who are joining us for the first time, and just a reminder to everyone, I think we're in week number five of our series, We Are the Church. So that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And today we're talking about the church is supportive, or how can the church be supportive? And it's an interesting passage we have read, because uh, if, if you start the passage from, the, from verse number one, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, it's a very interesting passage. Now, the writer... Uh, is contrasting between the old covenant and the new covenant. So that's the context of, of the conversation where we pick it up in verse 19. And he's talking about how, you know, the old covenant, uh, all the new covenant is better than the old. How, you know, in the old they had to struggle to do certain things. The, 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 the priest had to go in to the Hall of Holies once a year and everyone had to wait for this one guy to carry their issues to God. But now he says... We are much, much better because we are living in a new time. We are living under a new covenant. So that's where we pick up the story now. And the writer, he, he emphasizes and he 
talks about something very interesting in the passage where he talks about how we have this new and living way which Jesus has opened for us, which gives us access to the Father. And when you look at it, and this is how we're going to structure our conversation today, we're going to talk about three key things. Um, but when you look at what the writer is saying, he's saying because of the new way, this new and living way that we have, we have number one, a new position in Christ, number two, and this new position changes our posture, the posture of our hearts, and then number three, this new position and this new posture directs our daily practice. So those are the three things we're going to talk about, our new position, our posture, and our practice. Amen. So I'm going to start with talking about our position, and uh, you know, I, I was saying in the earlier service that you see, the conversation about how we can be supportive towards one another becomes a very difficult conversation if we haven't understood and figured out the issue about this new position we have and this new posture that our hearts need to take. So this is why it's so critical for us to really understand this new position. So what is this new and living way? What does that mean for you and me? Now, the writer gives us you know, some very good clues about this and what it means. So, because of this new and living way, we have a new relationship with God the Father. But then this allows us to do a couple of things. So, number one, he says, we have confidence, this is in verse 19, to enter into the holy place, into the holy of holies. So, we have confidence to come before the Father. Unlike back in the day where everyone had to wait, like I said, for the high priest to go in, now, we all have unlimited access to the Father. This is our new position. You and I have unlimited access to the Father. Now, the good thing about this access now is it has nothing to do with you and me. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. But it is simply because of what Christ has done for us. That's the beauty. Now, if you are a sports fan, or if you love soccer like I do, I'm a Manchester United fan, uh, we can have a chat later about, you know, how we're the best team in the world, but side story. Uh, now, one of the best gifts you can ever give a soccer fan is to buy them an all-season ticket, right? Like an all-season ticket. So what that means is every, every time my team is playing, I can simply walk into the ground because I have what? An all-season ticket, right? Now, the good thing about this new and living way we're talking about is it's not just an all-season pass. It's an all-time access pass. Unlimited access to the Father. Imagine, right? So that means you and I can go in every time. Like, any moment, you can just have direct access to the Father. Isn't that beautiful? The new and living way. But then the other good thing I love about this idea of having unlimited access to the Father is that no conversation with the Father is off limits. Whew, I love that. No conversation with him is off limits. You know, because sometimes when you don't have access to certain people, right, the moment you meet them, you're so scared about what you can say around them, right? Like, for instance, if I walk into the room with the, with the president right now, right, I can't just go and say, start talking about anything, right? There's protocol involved, right? 
but then with the Father, we have unlimited access. So this means this guy is my dad, and I can rock up and just talk to him about anything. Anything. And that comforts me so much because I think we live in a time and a space where if there's ever been need for us to have conversations with him, it's right now because I have so many questions about what's going on. And, and I would assume a lot of us here are also like, I have so many things I would want to say to him, which probably I don't feel comfortable talking to people about. So no conversation is off limits. Friends, I want to give you, I mean, this is not even my invitation to give. I want to share with you about this invitation that the Father gives you. Draw near. Come. Come closer. Let's talk. He's willing to listen. He's, he's willing to have that chat with you. He's always, always willing to listen. And guess what? When you speak, he will speak back to you because he wants to have that conversation with you. But then secondly, it also says we have a great high priest, right? So what that means is we have Jesus as the great high priest over the house of God. And it means he's praying over us all the time. He's interceding for us. Even in those moments when you don't feel like praying for yourself. Or those moments when it's so hard for you to pray. How many have been there before? Whereby you're going through some stuff but it feels like, like you want to but you can't. Right? Even in those moments because he knows you. He understands you better than you understand this yourself. And in those moments, he's saying, listen, I'm praying for you. I'm sparing you on. I'm wishing you on. Imagine. So this is the new and living way that we have with the Father. So that is our new position, friends. We have direct access and we have a high priest who is interceding on our behalf. So what then happens to our posture when we live in this new reality that I have access to the Father and I have a high priest who is praying over me. What happens to our posture then? Now, the word posture, and here when I'm talking about posture, I'm talking about the posture of our hearts. How our hearts begin to perceive people, understand people, look at people, but then also look at God, look at the world around us. How does this affect the posture of our hearts? Now, the word posture is very interesting for me. And again, disclaimer, I'm not a medical professional. So if the definition or the, this illustration is wrong, please blame Google because I Googled it. But Google says to me, uh, posture talks about the position which the body takes, right? Like if I'm standing like this, this is my posture, right? And with my little knowledge of biology, because I didn't do so well in school with biology, but what I've understood is my posture is affected by how my body is feeling, right? So say, for example, I have back pain. I can take this posture, and it's just a reflection of the pain that is on my back, right? So posture is a reflection of something else that's going on. And this is what the writer is saying. He's saying to us, if you go to verse number 22, as we draw near to God, right, as we draw near to the Father, that our posture begins to change because he calls us to then come before him with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, 
and having our hearts being sprinkled, knowing that I've been made clean, this then becomes our new posture, how we begin to look at ourselves and how we begin to look at God and other people. So that's what the writer is saying here. He's saying because we have been made whole, we have been given this new and living way, then our posture of our hearts begins to change to reflect this new reality. Amen? So because I have access to the Father, because Christ has died for me, therefore I can draw near to God with a sincere heart. Therefore, I can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. And the writer says it because the one who promised is what? Faithful. So I can keep my hope knowing that the one who promised me is faithful. Amen? It's guaranteed, right? You can check, you can take the check to the bank and I can assure you it's not going to bounce because the one who promised is what? Faithful. That's the assurance we have. And then it says, having our hearts, right? Cleansed from feeling guilty, guilty conscience. So that's the other new posture we begin to take. We begin to approach the Father with confidence, knowing that he has washed away our sin. And, and I think for me, this is one of the things that, I mean, I, I struggle with this a lot. And I'm sure most of us here would, would attest to it. I think one of the hardest things to do as a believer is to become more conscious of the grace of God and the good things he has done over how bad and how terrible I am as a human being, right? It's easier for us, I think there's a bit of feedback on my mic. It's easier for us to over-amplify that which is wrong about us. To over-amplify the small things that we get wrong consistently. To over-amplify the shortcomings that we have. And in that moment, in the process of doing that, we lose sight of the fact that his grace abounds the more. I, 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 I grew up in the church, you know, like, I'm a proper church boy, right? Started going to church when I was two weeks old. Huh? Two. And in my household, church was not, you know, like, you know, like today whereby it's like, now nah, today I'm not going to go to church. My son today actually <laughs> wakes up and then he comes to his mom and says, Mom, I'm not going to church today. She's like, why? She says, I have to do my homework. <laughs> right? So in my house, when I was growing up, there was nothing like that. It wasn't even a conversation with you're going to show up. It was always like Sunday, you know, we show up. But then not only on Sunday, even during the week, right? When, you know, because the pastor would say, we need people who clean the church during the week. My mother would volunteer us, all of us, you know. So we were th those kind of people, right? Like we are in the church. If there's no one else, my family is there, right? Started preaching when I was 14. And I always share this. I was so short because I grew up in a Presbyterian church and there's this big podium, right? Our pulpit. And I couldn't fit behind. So they had to put like a platform for me to stand on. And then you could only see my head, you know, behind it. And unfortunately, you couldn't preach on the side, you had to be right there, right? So that's how changed I am, right? But the pressure that comes with that is because, you know, you are, and, and you're always the kid that every parent says, I wish my son was like you, right? And then in my head, I'm like, do you know how messed up I am? <laughs> but I don't know because I'm a church boy, right? I'm changed like that. But the pressure that brings is, 
you begin to feel like you're superhuman, right? You begin to feel like I'm better than everyone else. And then, unfortunately, life catches up with you, right? And then you realize how human you are. And in those moments, I think the overwhelming feeling that you get and the biggest struggle you face is how you deal with the fact that you are human and maybe even the shame that comes now with the knowledge that everyone has a sense of how messed up you are, right? Because all along, everyone viewed you in a certain light. And I struggled with that. And I think the thing with that is the more we do that, we begin to over-amplify, like I said, everything that is wrong. So that's been my struggle. I begin to look at myself and disqualify myself. I'm like, I'm not good enough, you know, and all that. But in the midst of that, the writer is saying to us, listen, because of the new and living way that has been set for us, you don't need to be sin conscious, but you need to be more grace conscious. You need to be thinking more about what he has done and... Again, the Bible says this, right? And this is not me. It's a principle laid out in Scripture. By beholding you become, right? By beholding you become. So the more you behold Jesus, the more you behold his goodness, the more you behold his grace, guess what? You become more like him. And the opposite is true. The more you behold your mistakes and how bad you are, guess what? The worse it becomes. Right? I mean... So this is what the writer is saying. Let us come boldly knowing that our hearts have been washed clean without being conscious, you know, of the fact of our sin, but more conscious of what he has done and having been washed clean. And the reason why this is so important is when we understand our new position and the posture of our heart changes, I no longer look at myself in the light of my mistakes, but I look at myself in the light of what God has done. That's my new posture. And I no longer look at people in the light of their mistakes, but I look at them in the light of what God has done for them. It changes how we view people. And this is where the conversation about being supportive as a church starts from. Because we can't talk about being the church that is supportive to one another when our perception of people is based on how bad they are, right? It's based on everything else except the fact that we are all people who have benefited from the grace of God. So our posture has to change. How we look at people has to change. And that is the first step towards us being supportive as the church. Now, remember, this is what we're talking about, right? The church is supportive. Now, the writer, like I said, gives us this clue to say our position has changed. Therefore, our posture has changed. But the ultimate result of that is our daily practice has to change. How we engage daily, how we walk out our faith, how we relate with one another has to change. So, if you read verse 22, from verses 22 to 25 actually, and this is where we're going to spend the, the, the rest of our time on, and we're going to be talking about what are some of the practical things we have to do to show support to one another as the church. The writer speaks about us drawing near to God, right? And 
when I was talking about us drawing near to God as the first step in this new position that we have, the word draw near uh, is taken from this word, egizio, which means to actually run, to run towards with the intention of joining together and hugging, right? So when, when God is saying, when the writer is saying we need to draw near to God, for a long time I always had this picture of drawing near, meaning God is there and I'm striving to reach towards him. It's like you're chasing an elusive dream, right? It's like you're chasing after something that you, you will never attain. But that's not the idea. The idea of us drawing near to God is him extending an invitation and saying, I'm already pursuing you. I just need you to take a step towards me and I'm reaching out to you. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Right? That when he said, I'm going to go back to the father and he's running on the way, the father met him on the way. So friends, the invitation that we need to draw near is really, really about us realizing that God is pursuing us more than it is about chasing. Make sense? It's more about realizing that he's the one who is chasing after us. His love is chasing after us. We just sang the song, your goodness is what? Running after me. Because it's about that. It's about constantly realizing that even though I'm trying to run away, his goodness is running after me. And when I turn to say, I'm going to go to the Father, he's meeting me on the way. Amen. And he, talk, he talks about holding fast the confession of our hope because the one who promised is faithful. And listen, friends, I think this is one thing I want to emphasize this morning, that our hope, our hope that we have in Jesus is a bankable check. I mean, you can trust that he will always come through on what he says. And I think that gives us confidence as we navigate in this life. But then, thirdly, he then says, Consider how to stir up one another to love and to good deeds. And this is where the conversation of being supportive really centers on. Now, the word consider here means to be intentional, to put some thought to it, even prayerful intent. So when he says consider how you can stir up one another to love, he's simply saying, can you pause and put some thought on how can I be supportive to my brother and to my sister? How can I show love to someone around me today? How can I be a blessing to the next person? <coughs> and this idea is so divorced from culture right now because the culture that we live in says, be the best version of yourself, right? And, where, and there's nothing wrong with being the best version of you. But the whole idea behind it is, it doesn't matter who you push out of the way for you to make it, right? We even talk about how we fake it till we make it, right? And that's how culture is today. But the writer is introducing a radical concept where he says, consider how you can be a blessing to the next person it takes away from focus on self to being more intentional about being a blessing to the people around us. And I think that's the beauty about this idea of being the church. Now, how, so how do we, how do we stay up one another to love? The writer gives us the answers. So number one, he says, do not neglect what? Meeting. 
together. So one of the ways in which we are going to be supportive or where we show the support for one another is in consistently meeting together. And when we are talking about meeting together here, it's not just about the Sunday gathering, right? Meeting together can mean different things because the Bible says whenever two or three are gathered, right? So it might mean in a small group. It might mean me reaching out to Sam and say, hey Sam, do you want to grab a coffee so that we can have a chat? But whenever we are meeting together, we are staring up one to each other to love and to good deeds. And this is so important, you know, this idea of us meeting together because by design, the church is a community, right? And I don't know any community whose hallmark is not togetherness, then it ceases to be a community, right? The whole idea of community is togetherness. And togetherness is an interesting concept. Bill Johnson says something that I love, and he says, sometimes we are not separated by division as we think, but simply because we have not fought hard enough to be together. And that's the idea about community. Community is about us fighting hard enough to be together. And what that means is I show up even when I don't feel like it. That is me fighting hard enough to be together. That, that, and again, you know, when, when Pastor Humphreys asked me to preach about this, I was like, I'm not the best person to, to talk about this because I struggle with this. I struggle with fighting hard enough to be together. Because, I mean, we are people, Right? And I just tweeted something earlier and I said, I think there's this idea about community which makes our lives richer. But community is hard, yeah. right? Yeah. People are hard. Yeah. It's difficult. Sometimes you don't feel like it. But the idea of community is we fight hard enough to be together. It means even when I don't feel like it or even if... Some people are really not making me happy within the community. I still want to fight hard enough. Why? Because being in community is a commitment to one another. Right? It's a commitment to one another. So when you show up on a Sunday morning, you're showing up to worship, yes, but you're also saying, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. I asked a question in the morning, in the earlier service, and I said, Imagine how it, it would feel if you showed up at, at church and there was no one, right? You, you rock up on a Sunday, 11, and there's no one. No one to see your nice dress that you bought, right? I'm not saying we come for the dress, but hey, you want to see the dress, and then we tell you you look good, right? It makes you feel good as well, right? That's the idea of community. We are committed to one another. And then when I show up and I say hi to you and say, hey, you look great today. Sometimes you don't realize how those small words mean to someone. Because maybe the whole week no one said that to them. We don't know what people are going through when we gather. But then when we show up, the fact that we have showed up together, man, it means I'm committed to you. And then in the conversation, maybe, hey, God is going to give me the right words you want to hear at that moment, right? Maybe I'm going to say the right thing that you need to hear at that moment. So friends, I want to encourage you. Like the writer encourages us, do not neglect meeting together. And like I said, this is not just about Sunday. It's about what you do on Monday. It's special on Monday, actually. Sunday is easier for a lot of us, but Monday is hard, right? 
Monday is hard because you have so many things going on, right? You have reports to write. Your kids are bothering you. Uh, you have deadlines to meet. There's so much going on. But it is in that hardness that we fight to be together. Amen? So, challenge for the week. How are you going to fight to be in community and to show togetherness with someone else? Right? He also says, we show community or we stir up one another to good deeds and love by encouraging one another. Uh, and I love this, uh, the idea of encouragement. There's a guy in the Bible, it's Barnabas, right? Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Uh, I don't know how, how good he was at this, but probably it was really good for him to be called that. Um, but so th this idea around encouraging one another, uh, the word for encouragement is, and I mean, I'm just throwing in a little bit of Greek, right? You know, you know, just to be sophisticated a bit, a little bit of Greek. <laughs> the, the, the word for encouragement is parakaleo, right? But it's not about the Greek word, but it's about what it actually means, which excites me, right? Now, para, parakaleo is two words. Para, which means to come alongside, right? To be there, to be present. And kaleo means to shout loudly and to stir one another to action. So what the word encouragement actually means is to be present, to come along and be alongside one another and to stir each other to action. So friends, encouragement is not just about sending a motivational text. I mean, no problem with that, but it's really more about being present, right? Being present. And how many of you probably when, you know, you're going through something and then maybe you share on a WhatsApp group, maybe it's your growth group, and then you say, hey, guys, you know, I'm going through something, you know, and then everyone's just texting you like, it's okay, God is in control, so I'm going to work out. I mean, there are times when I don't want to hear that. What I need is for you to be present, right? I mean, imagine the difference between texting that and showing up at my house with a bunch of food and say, hey, we're going to sit and watch a movie together. Very different, right? I'm not saying don't send words of encouragement. People need that. Send them. But the idea around encouraging one another is more than just motivation. It's about being present and showing up. And Pastor Yami last week spoke about this, right? You remember about how he spoke about being present and not choosing what is convenient. Because sometimes what is more convenient is to just text, right? Or when someone says, we were talking about this in our growth group the other week. Or when someone says, uh, you know, I'm going through something and I need some money. Maybe what they actually need is for you to sit down with them. And sometimes what is convenient is to just send them money, right? But the idea of encouraging one another is to go beyond convenience and showing up even when you don't feel like it. Now, I personally don't do well with funerals. And my wife knows this and she doesn't like it at all. I, and I don't think anyone does well with funerals, right? <laughs> Just to be clear. But I struggle. I cannot show up. If I show up, I don't engage. I would rather be running around and making sure that, okay, has the coffin been bought? Do we have food and what, what, right? Now, that's just me. And it's because I'm afraid of showing up 
in the midst of grief, right? It's so hard because sometimes I feel like, what do I say? I don't know what to say. But maybe sometimes it's not about what you're going to say when you show up. It's just about you being there, right? It's just about you coming and giving me a hug and not saying a word. Maybe that means more. So another challenge for the week. How are you going? And how, no, not how are you going. How are we going? Because I'm included in this. How are we going to encourage one another this week? How are you going to show up? Who have you been convenient with? And just say, well, this is what you need without actually understanding what they need. So that's another challenge for the week. Now I'm going to wrap this up because my time is up. So the writer says, do not neglect meeting together. Encourage one another, especially as the day draws near, right? And he's talking about how, you know, things are going to get hard as the day draws near, whatever your understanding of the day is. But he's talking about us being able to even do this more in the midst of things getting bad, things getting worse. And I was sharing earlier that how many agree that the world is getting a bit crazier than it was last week? It's like every week, it's like, I thought we had reached rock bottom, but wow, right? It's like we keep, you know? And that's what the writer is saying to say, especially now that things are going to get crazy, we need to, to meet together even more. We need to encourage each other even more because how many know that we need it right now, right? We need it right now. And remember, the bottom line of this series is we are the church, but the church is about being and not doing. And when we meet together, when we encourage one another, when we are in community like this and there's conduct between us, it actually empowers us to be the church, right? We are the church, but this is the fuel that we need. You know, when you come and maybe you've had a very bad week, and then you come and you meet your brother, you're encouraged, and you're ready to go again. So he says, you need to do this even more, now that maybe things get out of hand a bit. So friends, I want to encourage us this morning, two things that I want us to do as we wrap this up. Number one, how do we show up, like I said? even more, how do we encourage one another even more, but also how do we go beyond convenience, especially in these difficult times, just to be there and be supportive of one another how do we transcend beyond the norm into actually going a step further and saying, listen, I'm going to fight hard enough to show that I'm committed to you, even if it costs me something. Because ultimately, it is about what it is going to cost us. Maybe it might cost us time, maybe it might cost us resources, but how willing are we to transcend beyond convenience and actually step out to show and be the church not only to people around us, because I think maybe it's e easier to people around us, right? But maybe to people out there. Now, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and there was a banner at the end, at the back. You could only see it when you are standing up here, and it read, you are now entering the mission field. So when you come into church, you wouldn't see it. You would only see it when you are going out. And for a long time, I thought the mission field is just the people out there, right? 
But maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus is calling us and saying, how can you be more present in the lives of those in this community, right? Maybe he's sending you to someone in here. So I pray that this week, as we navigate through this week, that we may be more conscious of the opportunities he's opening up for us, right? To be a blessing to one another. Where is he calling you beyond convenience so that you show up in the life of someone else? Be it someone you know or even someone you do not know because that's what he's calling us to do. And I'm going to invite the band to come up as we, as we wrap up. One of the ways which I would like for us to show up in each other's lives this morning is this. Maybe you're here today and, I mean, you've been going through stuff, whatever it is, whatever it is that you've been going through. And maybe you just need someone to pray with you or you need someone to talk to 